Good morning and Happy New Year. You know, I am just so happy to be with you all this morning and to start the first day of the year with my church family. So I moved to Phoenix uh, four years ago to attend Phoenix Seminary and in the summer of 2018, before I moved here to the valley, I prayed a very specific prayer. It's the kind of prayer that you write down in your journal. And I prayed as I was about to enter a new chapter of life that the Lord would bring spiritual growth, conviction, that he would shape my heart. This was four years ago. I had no idea that a Trinity Bible Church even existed. Um, I want you to know, Trinity, that you guys have been the answer to that prayer. You see, the Lord has used this local church to answer every part of the prayer I prayed for years ago, and so I am so grateful to you all this morning, and it really is my privilege to serve back to you through the preaching of the word. So I'm happy to be here. One of the reasons why I have been blessed here at Trinity is because of the spiritual friendships. Uh, last year, Ray Ortland was with us for a conference, and you know, listening to him is amazing. He's like listening to a grandfather speaking at the fireplace. He just has the warmest voice, and he encouraged the men for the sake of purity to make lifelong, gospel-centered, spiritual friendships. Recently, I learned that Esther Edwards Burr, she's the daughter of Jonathan Edwards, she was also the mother to Aaron Burr Jr., this lady was a champion of spiritual friendships. She wrote, except for secret devotion, I esteem religious conversations one of the best helps to keep religion in the soul. You see, I think she's right because we often think of spiritual morning devotions as what drives our spirituality and certainly that's a big part of it, having our devotions in the morning, but think about this. Look back in your life. Do you realize that the times you grew the most, the times in which your heart was challenged, convicted, shaped by the Lord, was because of a conversation you had with a close Christian friend who was speaking the things of eternity. You know, John Piper talks about paragraphs change you. I think also that conversations change you. And so I'm, I'm so thankful for my spiritual friendships here in the valley because, you know, we could go out to eat, we could uh, go on a hike, but at some point, we're gonna talk about Jesus we're going to talk about our walks with the Lord. We're going to talk about the local church. At some point, that's going to come up. So one of our friends at, our, at the seminary, Cody Gibson, he recently moved to the Midwest. And a couple of weeks ago, I was with some friends at a Phoenix Suns game. And so we sent Cody a selfie. And Cody responded with a text, and this is what he wrote back. Who does not long for that city from which no friend leaves? into which no enemy enters, St. Augustine of Hippo. Can't wait to be in a world where no friend leaves. I miss you, buddy. And I was like, bro, I'm at a Phoenix, <laughs> I'm at a Phoenix Suns game, <laughs> and you're hitting me up with like church history quotes and St. Augustine. But there are these serious moments, maybe at a coffee shop, or even here in the pews, or in the lobby after service, where your friend is sharing with you how the Lord is working in their life and you realize that you are sitting or standing across a miracle. 
because there is no other explanation for what they're saying, their testimony, other than that the Holy Spirit is working in their life. Have you experienced that? Have you heard somebody's testimony or have you heard how the Lord has been faithful to them amidst the trial and you're like, whoa, only God through the Holy Spirit can make them say such a thing right now. Only God can shape their heart. What I'm trying to point out is that only the Holy Spirit can bring such work in our lives. And in our passage this morning, the the classic Galatians 5, talking about walking by the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, that is what Paul is telling the Galatian. Only by the Holy Spirit do we have any hope for being sanctified. So I, I submit to you this morning that the big idea of Paul's text and the big idea of the sermon is this. I need to see it really quick. Christians can only live the Christian life by walking by the Spirit. Christians can only live the Christian life by walking by the Spirit. Brother and sister, I encourage you this year, as an individual, I encourage you as an individual, and I encourage us as a corporate collective that we would put sanctification at the very center of our ambitions for 2023 and that we would remember this, that any hope we have for those spiritual ambitions, whether it's in ministry or sanctification, any hope rests upon the work of the Holy Spirit. So please join me in prayer. Father, in in talking about the Holy Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit. So any hope of illumination in our mind, any hope of affection in our heart, it's gotta come through the power of the Spirit. So we ask you to do your work knowing that you are willing and able to do so. And, And as we look to the Spirit's work, may we look to where the Spirit is pointing and the Spirit points to Jesus. So help us to think of Jesus this morning. It's in his name we pray, amen. So the first point, and just fair warning, this is the longest point of the four, so we will spend some time in the first point. I think it's the main point, is this. There is a real struggle between the flesh and the spirit, and the battle plan is to walk by the spirit. We see this in verses 16 through 18. We are parachuting right into the middle of Galatians, so I'm gonna establish some context very, very quickly. The author is obviously Paul. He's writing, but he's not writing to one church. He's writing to multiple churches throughout Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And the occasion in which Paul is writing is very different from Romans. So he's not writing to a church that he's never met. He's not asking for support for his big missions trip. Paul is writing to churches that he knows, and the situation is very, very serious. You see, there are false teachers who are requiring circumcision as a prerequisite into entering the covenant community. And you see, if there was a melodic line to the book of Galatians, I think it would be this. Paul is trying to say, there is no other gospel. And so for the first half of the letter, Paul is really laying down this theological groundwork to establish that justification a.k.a. salvation, is by faith alone in Jesus. And what's interesting is that the false teachers, they probably even acknowledge that Jesus is part of the formula. They probably even acknowledge maybe that Jesus and faith in Jesus is part of the formula, but they insisted additional work, namely circumcision, had to be done. To which Paul says this, hey, Jesus plus something equals nothing. And so, 
Paul is spending a large time in this letter fighting against legalism to which he concludes at the beginning of our chapter. At the very beginning, he says, Christ has set you free. Don't go back to the yoke of slavery. You are free. But Paul is very careful to say you are not free to do whatever you want. Because in the Christian faith, listen here, there is no room for legalism, but there is also no room for licentiousness or the license to do whatever you want. Paul says you are free, and then he says use that freedom to serve and love one another. How do, how do I serve and love one another? That brings us to verse 16 of our passage. And so that's why Paul starts by saying, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That phrase, walk by the uh, Spirit, really is the summary statement of our passage this morning. So I do want to hit pause, spend some time on these words, walk by the Spirit. What does that mean to walk? And then what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Hopefully we could answer that by looking at the text. So first, walking. Simply put, the Bible uses the metaphor of walking to describe our Christian lifestyle. So you've probably heard the question, how is your walk? Or how is your walk with the Lord? So this is not a Christianese or Bible lingo language. This is biblical language rooted in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word halak, that's Hebrew for walk, we see that all over the Old Testament. And so when the original readers saw that word halak, they would be like, oh, halak, that's speaking of my lifestyle, specifically a Christian lifestyle, a lifestyle according to God's will. We saw that in our call to worship text, did we not? Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And so the New Testament authors are using the word walk in the same way. How one lives their life. Walk, to walk. How you live, specifically, your Christian life according to God's will. Okay, so, so, so that's walk. But what does it mean, walk by the Spirit? So listen up here. Just like in salvation, our sanctification is made only possible by the Holy Spirit. It may seem obvious, but let that sink in. Just like in salvation, Spirit brought you salvation, only the Spirit can bring about sanctification. And you know, it's funny, the Holy Spirit is not a new character on the playing field of Galatians. He's talked about the Holy Spirit before. So in Galatians chapter three, verse two, Paul is like, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or hearing with faith? Paul is saying you received the Spirit when you heard the gospel with faith. And then look at the very next verse. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul is saying, hey, you began by the Spirit Nothing's gonna change from here on out. You continue by the Spirit, and you're not gonna continue by works for sure. It is by the Spirit. The same Spirit that saved us is also sanctifying us. So if I were to give a very general definition of walking by the Spirit at this point, I would say this. Lucas, what's walking by the Spirit? Walking by the Spirit is living a lifestyle that is obedient to God, made only possible by the Holy Spirit. And so this really brings about the beautiful paradox of sanctification. 
You know what a paradox is? It, it, sanctification is very much a beautiful paradox because you and I are going to walk, but by the Spirit. So we got to walk because you see, sanctification is not like a lazy river. You don't just hop on, magically expect that the Holy Spirit will take you from A to B. No pun intended, you and I are expected to walk, to take steps, or as Paul says, to keep in step with the Spirit. We got to put in effort. But brother, sister, listen very closely. Neither is sanctification moralistic. The good works that the Bible speaks of is not the same virtues that this world speaks of. We're going to see that later. But for now, realize that in Galatians 5, we are seeing a reality that needs to be grasped regarding sanctification. We must walk, but by the Spirit. So, after service, if you were to really press into me and find me and say, okay, Lucas, I get it, walk by the Spirit, but you know, what does that actually mean? By the Spirit. What, what does that look like? Like, I need a play-by-play. What does it mean to parent by the Spirit? What does it mean to go on a date by the Spirit? Or think about my finances by the Spirit. And brother and sister, I, I encourage you to look with me. I think Paul supplies the answer very practically. Look in your Bibles or look on the screen, Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Okay, all right. I see that. I could work with that because we are supplied the Spirit when what happens? When we hear with faith. And when I hear those words, hearing and, and words of, when I hear those words, hearing and faith, you know where my mind goes to? I go to Romans 10, which we just looked at a couple weeks ago. And Paul says in a different letter to the Romans, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I hope you're tracking with me. I hope we're putting this all together. The spirit is supplied when we hear with faith. And, and what are we to hear? the word of God. So I I think specifically that is what walking by the Spirit means, to hear the words of God with faith. And that song that we sang earlier couldn't be more appropriate. I love it. So I put my faith in the promise of your word. I think that's what it means to walk by the Spirit. So let me ask you this morning, are you running to the word of God? Knowing that the word of God is ground zero, for the battle? Are, are you hearing the word of God? You can't hear the word of God if you don't come to the work of God. This is how we walk by the Spirit. Uh, this last fall, I took a spiritual formation class, and spiritual formation can get a bad rap because when people think of spiritual formation, they're like, oh, it's mystical, it's new agey, it's kind of loose and goosey in, defin- in its definition but we really define that biblical spirituality is really becoming like Jesus through the words of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. I hope there's a perspective shift for us, some of us this morning, that we would think of spirituality primarily through the words of Christ. And so if you're leaning on a model as the vehicle to get you closer to Jesus, but that model does not emphasize the words of God, 
Brother and sister, look to the model that the Bible upholds, and the, the model is the Bible itself. And it's an exciting adventure when you read Psalm 1 and the Spirit is supplied to you in that way. It is more stirring, more adventurous than any other model, quote-unquote, that the world has to offer. This is how we walk by the Spirit. And Paul says that when we do this, something happens. So go back to Galatians chapter five. What happens when we walk by the Spirit? Paul says, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now this makes sense, right? Don't think too hard. When you walk by the Spirit, you're not gonna sin. Gratifying simply means that you're not gonna fulfill those desires or those desires won't play out. But listen to this. Come in very closely. Not gratifying the desires does not imply that the desires go away. I'll say that one more time. Not gratifying the desires does not imply that the desires go away. In fact, not gratifying the desires highlights that they were always there to begin with. Because look at what Paul says next. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For, those, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Last summer, I caught up with an old friend who we grew up with in the church, and this brother just started graduate school in a major city, and he was sharing with me how he really struggled to live a holy life during his program. Because you see, he was all of a sudden in a new city where nobody knew him and he was free to do whatever he wanted. And every temptation seemed stronger to hang out with the wrong people, to do the wrong things, to not go to church. And I, I remember that. I remember moving to Phoenix, waking up in my apartment, thinking like, whoa, I'm not, a, I'm not part of a local church yet, and if I didn't go to church today, nobody would know. And this brother was going through the same thing, except making the wrong decisions. And all I could think about was this, as I sat across from him, like, whoa, the battle is very real because Paul is saying in one corner of the ring you have the desires of the flesh lustful eyes that wander a lazy body that could stay in bed a bitterness that can stiff arm your loved ones but at the same time in the other corner you have desires of the spirit like I want to sing great is thy faithfulness I want to read scripture. I want to come to church. I want to walk with God. And we see this in Romans chapter seven. Oh, wretched man that I am. It's crazy, right? It's like Galatians and Romans were written by the same person. <laughs> Human author Paul and divine author God. Now, friends, let me make this very clear. There is a real struggle in the Christian life. There is a cluster of theologies and they could go by different names, perfectionism, two-tier theology, higher life movement, but they basically promote one of two things. One, perfectionism, that you could reach a point in your life where you're not struggling with sin anymore, or two, this two-tier theology where there are two types of Christians, a carnal Christian, and then there's a higher sanctified Christian. Guys, I don't think this is, I, I don't think, I know this is not what Paul is talking about. You see, I think if Paul were to graph out our sanctification, we're not gonna see a linear straight line. It's gonna be all over the place. Now we're gonna see soon that this line should be trending upward because we need to bear fruit. 
But sanctification is messy because there is a battle going on. And so ask yourself this, do you sense a struggle? Do you sense a desire for holiness? At every juncture or intersection of a decision, whether to click on that or not, whether to resort to bitterness or not, whether to take the shortcut and lie or not, in the corner of your heart, do you sense a desire to obey Christ? As I caught up with my brother, I sensed that there was that desire, and so I, we reassured one another, because I shared my struggles too. We said, we're in a good place. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So we saw this phrase in Romans, and I think Paul is using it the same way, under the law. What does that mean? You are no longer under the law's weight. You are not hopelessly victim to the desires of your flesh. And and so the law can no longer condemn you. Why? Paul says, you are led by the Spirit. Now I want us to put our magnifying glasses and, and, and really look at that phrase, if you are led by the Spirit. This is not a command. This phrase, if you are led by the Spirit, is not an imperative. This is a statement. This isn't an indicative. And I think what Paul is doing is this, that he is grounding the imperative, because there's a command in the beginning, walk by the Spirit, and he's grounding that in in the indicative, if you are led by the Spirit. And this is really the general pattern we see in the New Testament. This is what we're gonna see next week as we go into Romans 12 because Paul, after 11 chapters of doctrinal indicatives, we finally move to the imperative, but be transformed. But it starts with what God has done. It starts with the indicatives. And so brother and sister, you are led by the Spirit if you believe in Jesus. So real quick application, for 2023, I encourage you, as I encourage myself, cling to the indicative statements of Scripture. This is the power behind any imperative or any command to know what God has done. Know who you are. This is the difference between moralism and gospel-powered sanctification. You see, on the days when you feel like you can't walk by the Spirit, you gotta know and you gotta go to these indicative statements in the Word. So hear it, put your faith in it, and walk in it. Paul is saying, hey, you're led by the Spirit. Now let's go walk by the Spirit. Point number two, those who are practicing the works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verses 19 to 21. So Paul, he's now listing the works of the flesh, sexual immorality. I'm just gonna read this again. The list of the works of the flesh. Very sobering. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So this is not an exhaustive list. We could assume there's more to this because Paul says things like these. So I I believe this is a collective summary statement of a lifestyle. A lifestyle of who? I believe this is the non-Christian because Paul says that the person who does such things, and in the Greek, that's really trying to flesh out who practices such things, and that's why I use the, the definition of a lifestyle that's characteristic of this. Somebody who does this 
characteristically will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at what Paul says. He says that these things are evident. Now the Greek word for evident here is phaneros, and the Greek lexicon will have a quick gloss saying obvious, but it's also used in such a way where the literal literal translation is made visible or shed light. And that is interesting because the theology of sin is often talked about through the analogy or the metaphor of light, is it not? We see this in John and 1 John. And so what Paul is saying here is that the works of the flesh, they gotta be phaneros. They gotta be obviously in the light. Easy to see, easy to recognize, they should be obvious. Christian, can you recognize sin when you see it? Or is culture redefining the terms for you? Is drunkenness still a sin? Or is it okay to flirt with that line? Is sexual immorality, which really is an umbrella term that includes sex outside of marriage, so homosexuality, any kind of sexual relationship outside of what God has designed to be, is sexual immorality a sin? Brother, do you see division, dissensions, fits of anger, like road rage or an exasperated sigh as things to repent of? Just like we did this morning during our time in confession. Read this list again. Should we be repenting of things, of these things? And what we need to understand is that this list, it's not a list of vices but it's a description of a sinful lifestyle. You see, vices and virtues were really abundant in Greek culture during these times. I mean, you got teachings uh, of Greek philosophers like Aristotle, and he would uphold virtues and denounce vices. The emperor Marcus Aurelius, he wrote meditations. This guy was a poster boy for Stoic philosophy. And you know, it's funny, the world is no different today. Culture, 100% celebrates a virtuous person. But what the world thinks is righteous is so, so different than how God defines righteousness. So we can't use the words bad and good in the same way that the world does, where bad is just a a vice and, and good is just a virtue. We engage morality in a very different way. Any conversation about cultural hot topics, whether it's mental health, social justice, anthropology, sexuality, must be done through a gospel perspective, through a born-again perspective. And any discussion about sin must be done in light of what Paul says right here, which he says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's very sobering. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, excuse me, if you're not a Christian here this morning, ask yourself this. What is my life characterized by? Becoming a Christian is not a New Year's resolution in the sense that I'm gonna be a better me. This is not a self-improvement program. This is not a list of virtues. This is not a list of vices. We are talking about a new creation in whom the Spirit has breathed life into. As we'll see soon, you gotta belong to Christ. 
And bearing fruit is the proof of such a person, not the prerequisite. So if you don't recognize fruit in your life, your responsibility, it's not to like bootstrap obedience as Malachi prayed this morning in our little huddle. We don't bootstrap obedience or summon fruit. Your responsibility, if you are not a Christian, is this. You gotta recognize sin. And sin is not moral badness, but it's an active rebellion of God. Recognize it, repent of it, turn away from it, and trust in the good news that is our Savior, Jesus. Listen to the sermon that was preached last week, an entire sermon of the indicative that God sent his son, Jesus, to be born again, live a perfect life, die and rise for you, that you might be reconciled to God. By Jesus alone are you saved. The gospel can change you, I, I, I believe that. So if you wanna talk more about that, the pastors, any member of Trinity here in these pews would love to talk to you. Number three, those who walk by the Spirit bear the fruit of the Spirit, verses 22 to 23. So Paul, he just listed a list of the flesh. Now here is a contrast. He lists the fruit of the Spirit. And if you grew up in church, well, hopefully you know the song. I'm not gonna sing the song right now, but if you know it, you know it. It's a great song. Love, joy, it's a great song. So if the non-Christian produces works of the flesh, the Christian bears fruit. And just like walking, fruit is another metaphor that we see all the time, especially the New Testament, John 15. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Matthew 3, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Matthew 7, you will recognize them by their fruit. And I wish we had time to really just dig into each fruit, but it is refreshing. But know this, fruit is the proof of salvation. It is not the prerequisite. Again, fruit is the proof, not the prerequisite. Just like Andy preached a couple of weeks ago, we're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. So if you walk by the Spirit, Christian, you will bear fruit. Do you see fruit in your life? And I just want to encourage the Christians in the house right now, that if you are walking by the Spirit, you will see fruit. One of the things I was so encouraged about by Pastor Josh when he was here is he would preach the gospel in such a way that was true and encouraging because he would say this, change is possible. We believe in a gospel that has the power to change. So if you've never heard that before, or it's been a while since you've heard that, let me say it very clearly right now. The gospel can change you. Once and for all, as a new creation at salvation, yes, we just talked about that, but also slowly from one degree of glory to another. The spirit can change you. You can be transformed. You can experience victory. And you're not changing yourself. Sanctification is not a lazy river. You don't hop on, it takes you from A to B. You gotta put in effort, but it is God through the Spirit who is changing you. I mean, another way to say it, a better way to say it, is by Paul himself in Philippians. What does he say? Work out your own salvation, and he doesn't stop there. For it is God who works in you. Isn't that amazing? Work it out. 
but God is the one who's working in you. Listen to what J.I. Packer says in his book on this passage, Keep in Step with the Spirit. Fantastic book. I enjoyed reading it so much. The Christian's life in all its aspects, intellectual, ethical, devotional, relational, upsurging in worship and outgoing in witness is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate it and sustain it. You know, recently I have been struck by theologians, whether it's Packer or the Puritans of old, who are just like theological juggernauts. You know, they're just like super talented, um, very orthodox in their doctrine. But you know what? They're like kids. They're like children. The way the Bible talks about children, they have childlike faith. These intellectual theological giants are like children in the faith because they know that without God working in us, no true change is ever going to happen. I mean, you know this as well as I do, right? Like, I can't make somebody fall in love with God. I just can't. I, I can't make somebody all of a sudden want to read their Bible. Only the Spirit can do that. So, for example, in the preaching of the Word, understand that the Spirit is actively doing his work right now in real time. And so any light bulb that goes off in your head, any sudden upsurging in your heart, that is spirit work right now in real time. So let me say this, a quick encouragement if you are in ministry, quick application, if you are a Christian who's in ministry or a long-time Christian, I would encourage you to pray in such a way. I had a professor who said, like, don't just give, give the Holy Spirit lip service. Like, do you believe that? Like, without the Holy Spirit's help, there is no change that will happen. We need him. And so we pray expectantly. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I, w- I want us to focus on that word crucified because we see that English word all the way back in th- really the most famous passage of Galatians, right? Galatians 2.20, you have been, I have been crucified with Christ. But it's interesting, it's, it's used in a very different way in the Greek, completely different tense. And so here in chapter five, crucified in the Greek carries a past tense, but it also carries a present tense. Yes, past tense, your flesh has been crucified, but present tense, go on crucifying. You gotta make war and crucify your sin daily. And by at, at this point, hopefully it's not a new concept, right? We've been talking about this. Go walk, go crucify. As John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. If, if it's not one, it's the other. So are you fighting? And if you're fighting, how have you been fighting? Are you coming to church? Are you being discipled? Do you have accountability partners? Are you putting in the same effort in killing sin, the same effort that you'd put in any other area of your life? Paul says, those who belong to Christ have crucified, I'm sorry, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Again, notice this verb, Go crucify, right? Because he's saying, go do this. Present tense, go crucify. Again, it's rooted. And what is it rooted in? It's in another identity statement, indicative. And again, I encourage you, rack these all up, compile them and hold on to them. And what is the statement that Paul says? 
if you belong to Christ. You know, guys, sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to be more poetic than the Bible because the Bible is just so beautiful. If you are a Christian, Paul says you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and just let it wash over you. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. It's interesting. We've seen that concept, right? We live by faith. In who? In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christian, I believe this is the very nucleus of this letter, Galatians 2.20. I, I encourage you and myself that we would cling to this in 2023, that any hope of walking by the Spirit must come from what God has done for you in Christ. So read that over and over again if you have to. Put your faith in these words that Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. And so you belong to him. It's beautiful. Last point, Walking by the Spirit should affect how we treat one another. Verses 25 to 26. I'll just read this again, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And I hope by this point we see that beautiful, indicative, imperative relationship, right? If you live by the Spirit, like you live by like, you, I need air for oxygen. If you, need, if you need the Spirit to live, if you live by the Spirit, then go ahead, keep in step with the Spirit. And this command to keep in step should not be vague. Why? Because Paul, he gives us practical handlebars to hold on to. You, you want to get to work? You want to keep in step with the Spirit? Here's the first thing you could do. Here's your first New Year's resolution. It's right in front of you. It's your brother and sister in Christ. I would argue that the primary context for applying this passage is the local church because Paul is writing to the local church. And so Paul says, don't be conceited. Let us not provoke one another, envy one another. Fellow member of Trinity, we should not be overly critical, always pointing out what's wrong and never building up one another in love. We should not be knowingly or unknowingly pushing one another's buttons. And if we do push one another's buttons, forgive one another in Christ. Walking by the Spirit should affect how we treat one another. So I'm going to close with six very, very quick applications. I promise this will be just like very, very quick, just bullet pointed. But six applications on how we could apply this passage, number one, walking by the Spirit involves corporate fellowship. We talked about that. Meet one with one another, come to church, ask each other very normally and very, just make it normal to say, how is your walk with Jesus? Number two, you can't walk by the Spirit without living in the Word. Live in the Word. Have scheduled devotions. Listen to biblical worship songs. Listen to podcasts. Listen to sermons. Follow Christian social media. Read Christian articles. But live primarily in the word. Number three, walking by the spirit is difficult to do when you have unconfessed sin. Walking by the spirit is difficult to do when you have unconfessed sin. Have accountability partners in whom you can share anything with. Number four, walking by the spirit 
is empowered by justification. Always go back to what makes you a Christian. It's not your faith, it's who your faith is in. Think about that often. Number five, walking by the Spirit is not an emotional high. Fight when you don't feel like it. Brian Arnold, the president of our seminary, said a couple years ago in our church history class, and when he said it, I wrote it down. Even when the fire grows cold, say to the Lord, by your grace, you will find me at the foot of the cross in the morning. So pray when you don't feel like praying. Read scripture when you don't feel like reading scripture. And the most important time to go to church is when you don't feel like going to church. Number six, last one, walking by the Spirit is a Christ-centered activity. It's not a a human-centered activity. Look to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not your cup of coffee for your business venture or a motivational means to get good grades. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God so that we would enjoy Jesus by obeying him. And you know what's funny? When you do that, it affects your business venture. It affects your grades. But the Holy Spirit is not based on you. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. So this year, let us live in Galatians 2.20 by living out Galatians 5, which ultimately is based on Galatians 2.20, being crucified with Jesus. So let's pray.